This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, good evening. I'm Brooke Thomas. This is actually my first time hosting the conversation officially. So I'm pretty happy to be here. I'm filling in for Jank tonight. Thank you so much for watching. We've got two great guests, a lot of important stories. So let's just get right to it. Um, first up is Michelle Romero, National Director of Green for All. Michelle, good evening. Hi, good evening. It's so excited to be here with you. How are you? I'm doing really well. You know, um, Green for All, which works on building an inclusive green economy for everyone, just launched a new fuel change campaign and music video to motivate a movement, and it is catching fire. Well, let's talk about it. What is Green for All's fuel change campaign? Yeah, so Green for All is about making sure that those communities who are hit first and worst by climate change and pollution don't benefit last and least from these new clean solutions. And so the fuel change campaign is bringing clean cars, trucks, and buses to underserved neighborhoods all across the country. Um, and we launched the campaign with this new music video called the Fuel Change Anthem, which, as I mentioned, you know, on Twitter already has gotten over 500,000 views. That's awesome. It, Michelle, you know, I you said something that I think is really important. I want to know if you for our viewers can break down who exactly is traditionally, you know, left out of the climate conversation. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, like many issues, low-income communities and communities of color are the most impacted by transportation pollution and many other forms of pollution. And so we're seeing that because they live the closest to busy freeways and highways or diesel truck routes on their way to a port, um, you know, that they're the most exposed to the toxic emissions that come out of those tailpipes. And these things cause not just climate change, but they cause health issues from asthma to cancer to problems focusing, low birth weights, and so many pollution-related illnesses. And, you know, this is something that it's still surprising, I guess, for a lot of us that this is something that is not most often talked about because we know there's a lot of history behind why certain communities are in those areas in the first place that you just mentioned. I want to skip ahead a little bit and ask you about tailpipe pollution. And I know that low-income communities and people of color face kind of the highest risk of that, of the greatest impacts of tailpipe pollution. Can you break down you know, those risks and, and why? Yeah, I mean, some of the risks are, you know, asthma, which we're really familiar mm -hmm. with, right? So one of the artists, for example, who's featured in our Fuel Change Anthem, Nehemiah, he's from West Oakland, and every day he's surrounded by freeways and highways, ports that are idling through their neighborhood. And he, as a kid who has asthma, just to go outside and play, you know, he talks about being the captain of his high school basketball team at one point and now not being able to pursue sports because it's getting in the way of him um, just being able to breathe. I mean, really, as they go about their day. Why now? Why was this something that your organization decided to um, focus on? 
Yeah, you know, for so long, we've thought of power plants as the number one source of uh, climate change emissions. And now we're seeing that transportation pollution is now a top contributor to climate change. And so as we see, you know, youth excited about the Green New Deal and opportunities to transition to a cleaner economy, we need to transition every single sector. And so why not start with one of the largest contributing sectors, which is transportation. Well, let's talk Green New Deal as well, because you just mentioned it and it is, it's something that's on every, it's coming out of everyone's mouths. Um, How is this related to the Green New Deal? Yeah, you know, the Green New Deal is right now a vision statement. Mm -hmm. And it's um, the resolutions that are in Congress right now, basically, if passed, only say that the federal government has a responsibility to act. It isn't policy yet. And so what's exciting about the Green New Deal movement is all of the people who are coming out and saying, we cannot wait. We have to actually level up our ambition on solutions that uh, meet a climate or science-based target, right? We've got less than 12 years before we see the next level of global catastrophe. Um, And so that's really exciting. I think, though, in terms of you know, making real change for the people who are feeling the effects today, not in 10 years, not in 20 years. Um, We need to make sure that we continue to act locally too. And so when it comes to transportation, there's so much we can do to fuel change where we live by asking our local officials to commit to 100% zero emission buses, for example. Um, Every day, you know, we're putting kids on school buses that are increasing their chance of lung disease and why not go electric? We have those technologies now. Can we talk about some of those solutions? Just kind of break those down for someone who's at home and and watching this and, and hopefully, you know, really interested in what you're saying and why it's important. Yeah, you know, a couple of things. So on buses, just to stay there for a minute, Over 25 million kids ride a dirty diesel school bus to school. 90% of buses in the United States, school buses in the United States are run on diesel. And about 60 to 65% of our public transit buses are run on diesel. And that puts us at way greater risk, both on the climate risk side and on the health side, when there's a new, better technology. If we went to electric buses, we could actually reduce our health impacts significantly um, and save in fuel and maintenance costs as well. I think the challenge is getting those technologies adopted at an accelerated pace so that we can see those things all over the country. I want to rewind a little bit to something that you mentioned. And you mentioned um, kind of transportation pollution and in, in, in the dangers in relation to climate change. But I read something else today that transportation pollution now accounts for the largest share. Oh, no, excuse me. That's what we were just talking about. But um, that traffic-related pollution kills more people than traffic accidents. It shocked me when I heard about wow, it. Wow, yeah. And this is um, a study that was done a few years ago. Yeah, found that now... There are more traffic-related premature deaths from pollution, traffic-related pollution, than traffic-related accidents. And I think just as, you know, people, if you get in your car and you have to commute to work, for example, you're probably aware that getting in a car accident is a risk to your health, right? You see accidents side of the road, you know you need to drive carefully. We don't think as much about the emissions coming out of the tailpipes as a health and safety issue. 
when in fact, that's actually even a greater risk to our health. Um, and so just on the cars front, you know, alone, we are seeing the Trump administration trying to roll back clean car standards and fuel economy standards. Uh, we'll probably see a rule be finalized later this year. And the fuel change movement is about pushing back and saying, actually, no, we need cleaner cars, not dirtier cars. What's your ultimate goal with this campaign? Yeah, you know, I want to see clean technologies being used everywhere. I want to see when someone thinks of a electric car that that's not just for white people in their head, right? Uh -huh. That's actually something that's affordable and accessible that you can see charging stations, that you can see solar panels in the hood, um, that you can have electric rideshare programs helping to increase mobility in rural communities um, and improving their access to healthcare, to jobs, to education, and, and so on and so forth. We just want vibrant, thriving communities everywhere. And now I know we've been kind of talking about this in the context of a larger conversation that about what needs to be done to protect these communities. But for people at home, what can they do? Because you know, you gotta know that you're you know pulling on heartstrings now. And so there's gonna be people at home saying, well, what can I do? Can I do anything? What can they do? Well, I hope so. Um, so Green for All is actually developing, cultivating local leaders. So if you want to get started where you live, you can go to fuelchangenow.com, sign up and join us. We'll provide everything that you need to get started. Um, we're also a nonprofit, so we take contributions if you're not able to volunteer time, but want to help other local leaders um, be change agents where they are. Awesome, Michelle, all right, really quickly, I wanna talk about this music video because we're gonna air it. And so uh, break it down, what's going on? Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so we launched the Fuel Change Challenge and it was a nationwide talent search where we invited rappers, poets, and uh, so singer-songwriters to submit a verse about what transportation pollution looks like where they live. And so you're gonna see Nehemiah Vaughn from West Oakland, California, Warren Dixon of Third Rock Hip Hop in LA, um, and Ciara Brown and the Shonda Bomb from New Bedford, Massachusetts, break down what the impact is in communities where they live. Michelle Romero, National Director of Green for All. Thank you so much for being here with us. And before we take a short break, I want you all to check out this music video by Warren Dixon on climate pollution, one of the four artists selected by the Green for All campaign. Because of where we live, the pollution coming out of tailpipes it's buried into the kids' lungs. One out of four kids in my community have asthma. It is hard to learn if you can't breathe. Yeah. I see the conditions of the world now, and I swear it's making me nervous. Sometimes I feel like we're being ignored to know if they do it on purpose. We scream loud for a little love, but I can't really tell if they heard us. All we ask is for clean air. I guess they don't think we deserve it. Please, because where we come from, the children they run, run. They get all on their long lungs. The pollution we taking in every day, we seeing the large effect, right? You got a child, and I got a child. We got a child to protect, right? I see the diesel trucks coming in and out of the city, jumping up what they deliver.
Hey there, welcome back. I'm Brooke Thomas, filling in for Jenk tonight on The Conversation, and I'm very happy to be here. We have a very important conversation to have with Nathan Spiteri. He's a filmmaker and sexual abuse survivor, and lucky for us, he's gonna share a very important personal story with us. Nathan, good evening, how are you? Good evening, thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, very important month, and I know, and it should be important for all of us, but unfortunately, we still have to do the work to get the awareness out there. And I also know this is pretty personal for you. Do you mind just, you know, open forum, share a little of your story with us? Sure. Um, I'm Australian, grew up in Australia. Um, I was abused as a kid from eight years old through to about 11, 12 years old. And this guy threatened me and my family with my life. He mm-hmm. told me if I told anyone he'd kill me, he'd kill my family. I kept it a secret for 20, 25 years, didn't tell a soul, my parents, friends, no one. And as a result, you know, I went down a very dark road of drugs and, and violence and finally hit, hit rock bottom before coming out the other side and doing therapy, group therapy, you know, AA, Narcotics Anonymous, Sex Anonymous. and. You know, in my therapy and in my time with people, they're all saying, Nathan, you should start writing this story, write it down. So I started writing it down and and then from there, we realized that it could be an amazing story to share with people and and a script. So I've now just finished writing a script and, and, you know, I truly believe that this happened to me for the reason to educate the other, educate the masses, to educate people and say, listen, this happens every single day. It doesn't discriminate race, religion, color. You know, it's it's all over the world, and it's you know it's something that's very prevalent. But people still turn a blind eye to it. They don't want to know about it. They mm-hmm. sweep it under the carpet, and especially when it comes to men. Um, you know, it's still such a taboo subject for men to come out and talk about it. It's, you know, it's still such a macho thing, and and we keep it all inside. And and you know, what I've learned is through all this that. There are so many men who have kept it inside and end up killing themselves, abusing themselves, and, you know, abusing children, violence and drugs going down the road I did. But, you know, I was lucky enough to get the help I needed and and kind of come out the other way, come out the other side. And now I just want to share my story and, and help other people. Well, I'm so thankful you're here sharing your story with us. Uh, I think it takes a lot to uh, be able to do this and you're helping people. You've been working with child abuse organizations in Australia and I hear in the US as well. What do you think is the most important message you try to get across? I think just for people to educate themselves. I think people need to to learn more about child abuse and how to help others and just to listen and to believe abuse, people who have been abused. I think that's one big thing and that's, it's something that happens all the time is that people try and come out and tell their story and and, and there's a lot of people out there who don't believe them and tell them, oh, it's okay, you know, just get on with it, just just get over it and live your life and, and move forward. And and it's it's something that people can't do. They they you know, it's it's with me, you know, I still have my bad days, good and mm-hmm. bad days, and you know, have my dark moments and I think it's just for people to to educate themselves, to listen, to just support and love these people who have been abused. You brought up something a second ago. You said that you know it's still kind of a taboo subject, especially with men. And I think it comes down to shame and um, society and how society treats survivors of sexual abuse, especially men. Um, how do we break down that barrier where you know we can all get to a place to where there's an understanding that the shame is not on the survivor? I think again, just for education mm-hmm. and 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 
for more people who have been abused to come out and tell their story. Because that's the only way people are going to learn about this. That's the only way people are going to listen is by by hearing other people tell their story. And, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the world who don't know that their parents have been abused or cousins or aunties and uncles because they've kept it inside. And, you know, I think it's just all about education and, and people learning about this situation. And it is such a prevalent thing. And I think just to listen mm-hmm. and to help. I think that um, that's that's really important to say. While researching you, because I want to talk about what you you mentioned that it took decades for you to open up about what happened to you as an eight-year-old little boy. And while researching you, I read about the moment where you told your family finally about the abuse. And it was obviously many, many years later, and they were sad and upset for you. But there was something your sister said, and I think um, it was really important. I think I recalled her saying she it it made sense. She had remembered noticing changes in you as a child. And it made me think, what are some things that people close to young children should look out for? Absolutely. I think I think parents especially, they need to just be aware of their kids. You know, I was a fun-loving kid, but then all uh-huh. of a sudden I just kind of fell into a shell and just hid in my corner, hid in my room and played with my cars. And I think for parents, older brothers and sisters, teachers, you know, just adults talking to young kids to say, listen, it's not your fault. It's okay for you to tell me you're not going to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. You can tell me what happened. Um, and, you know, about my sister coming out and saying that, it was my sister and my mother, actually. When I first told them, they, they actually said, wow, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That explains everything about you. And I've had a couple of my best friends in Australia when I told told them, they all said the same thing. Wow, that explains everything. That makes sense. Now we understand why you were the person that you were, why you did the things you did, and why you are the person that you are now. Wow. You know, how do we get young children? Because you were in a situation where you think you're protecting your family. If I remember the story correctly, if I read it correctly, that you know this person was threatening to harm your family. So now you have to deal with the abuse and also the fear of safety for your family. How do we get young children to open up and tell if something has happened, what questions need to be asked? How do you provide that comfort in that space for a young child? I think, again, through educating educating adults and, and teachers and, and, and parents and, and just saying, listen, if a man or a woman touches you and you feel uncomfortable or it's not right, tell us. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about the parents educating the kids at a young age to let them know that, you know, it is okay. You can tell us. You can tell us if something's wrong or if you're not comfortable with something or something has happened to you. You're not going to get into trouble. You're not the one to blame. It's not your fault. So I think it's, again, it comes down to parents and adults educating these young kids at a young age, at an early age, letting them know that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to, even if, if, if like in my case, I was threatened with my life. Um, if my parents said to me, Nathan, if anyone ever does this or if anyone ever threatens you, or if anyone ever says anything to you, tell us. You're not going to get into trouble. We just want to help you. We're here for you. So I think it all, again, it comes down to parents and to the adults saying to the kids at a young age, it's okay for you to talk to us. It's okay for you to tell us what's going on. You're not going to get into trouble. It's not your fault. You mentioned comfort and kids being comfortable. And there's something that I I think about all the time um, that was so normal when I was a kid that I realize now as an adult, like, oh, maybe we should 
not maybe, but we definitely should talk to kids differently and operate differently. And it comes down to like consensual touch. I don't know if you've ever seen a situation where it's a little kid and their grandma wants a hug and their mother says, no, hug her, go hug your grandma. And you know, can you talk a little bit about the power of giving kids and, and letting them understand that they have the power and control over their body in all situations, even innocent ones? I think, yeah, I think, you know, if the kids know that it's okay and that they have the power, then they have the control. Uh-huh. Whether it's a grandmother, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a stranger in the street, if that kid doesn't feel comfortable with the grandmother or the grandfather or the stranger or the teacher or whoever it is um, cuddling them, then they should speak up. So I think it's all about educating these kids so that they do have the power. They do have the know-how. They have the knowledge. They they understand when they're in a situation that they would they don't want to be in when they understand that they're in a situation that makes them feel uncomfortable and makes them feel awkward and they're like oh my god something's up here something's wrong um i don't feel comfortable it's okay for them to then go to their parents or someone that they're comfortable with because it may even be a parent someone that they're comfortable with say listen i don't like this or, mm-hmm. or he touched me awkwardly and i just felt strange so i think it's again it comes down to just educating these kids at a young age and educating the parents and educating these adults so that they can tell these kids and that these kids do get their power and that they can say, don't touch me, or that makes me feel uncomfortable, or they can go and talk to someone that they feel comfortable with. I think also like adults have to remember to say, no, 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 it's okay if she doesn't want to give me a high five. It's okay if she's, it's okay. You know what I mean? I think, yeah. I always think, you know, that's on us too. And speaking of adults and when you should be able to say no, no, no. Um, everyone's been talking about Joe Biden and kind of non-consensual, but seemingly innocent touching, but it's touching that's made people uncomfortable. And he kind of apologized for it. Um, what were your thoughts and reaction kind of seeing this news cycle? See, that's, it's such a tough one because uh-huh. everyone, take sexual abuse differently. For me and for you, we can both get touched on the shoulder at the same time by the same person. But the way you're going to take it and the way I'm going to take it could be completely different things. You may think it's uh, the worst thing in the world and, and, you know, you go ahead like all these other ladies have and said, listen, he's touched me inappropriately. And I get touched on the shoulder. It's like, yeah, he's just touching me on the shoulder. So it's, I don't know what is sexual assault. How do we define it? How Mm -hmm. far does someone have to go before it is sexual assault, whether it is a touch on the shoulder, whether it is grabbing someone on the hand or kissing him on the cheek or giving him a hug. So it, it, it is, it's, it's such a tough situation because everyone acts differently in, in these situations. The way I'm going to act is completely different to the way you're going to act. So, but for me, I think because of what I've been through, because of my experiences, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that bad, but then I don't want to take it away from these people who, you know, like like I said, they can get touched on the shoulder and it's the worst thing in the world for them. For them, it is sexual assault. And, and so it is, it's such a touchy subject. It's such a fine line because what you think is sexual assault, mm-hmm. I may not think is sexual assault. Right. So, you know, wh- where do we, how do we, how do we do it? How do we draw a line? What's, what's right and what's wrong? I guess it starts with us having the conversation. So I'm glad exactly, we're having the conversation, educating ourselves, and and just you know realizing what is right and wrong. Joe Biden should know what is right and right, what's wrong, and how far he can go, and how you know what is invading someone's personal space. You know, you should know that. Mm-hmm. You're well, a grown man. You're an adult. 
Nathan, I am so thankful for you being here and having this conversation with us. I think it's a pretty important topic. Where can our viewers watching find out more about you and the work that you do? Absolutely, I guess the the main one is, is on my Instagram page. Mm-hmm. It's just Nathan Spateri. Get me on that, or I have my website nathanspateri.com, which is actually being updated right now, so that should be ready to go in a few days. But for now, follow me on Instagram. Get me on that. Um, I have my message coming across on that and what I'm doing and, and who I'm working with. So get me there, and then we can, you know, hopefully move forward. And and I have, like I said, I have this script that I've written now about my life. Which is also going to help educate educate people, and it's really got to get 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 the story out there. So, you know, let's start with Instagram and let's build it from there. All right, sounds good. Thank you so much again for being here. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, have a good evening. And thank you for watching once again. I'm Brooke Thomas. This has been the conversation, and uh, I guess that's it. Yeah, thanks for watching.